we made a decision as we shared last week that uh, we were going to take these first three weeks in January and uh, just make these little family meetings. Uh, Greg put it this way in the first service, you know, most of our most of our worship services maybe feel like we're in the living room, yeah, and today we're in the family room, and the family room is where the furniture is most worn, where uh, there are tatters that we forget about because they're just always there, um, and we are who we are, and uh, and we're reminded regularly of who we are. So these uh, three weeks uh, began last week with... Uh, Looking back, what we called a, a realist, realistic retrospective, if we can go to that next slide. There you go. And, uh, and we took, a, we just kind of took a look back over the last, uh, several years, especially the last three through the years of pandemic and, uh, thought together about some of the impacts of, uh, of the pandemic and of other dynamics on us as a church. And if you missed that message, I would encourage you to uh, to go to uh, uh, YouTube to um, LifePoint Church of Olympia. You can see those messages there. You can also see them at mylpcoli.com. Today, we are doing what I would just call kind of a state of the church message, um, looking within a sober assessment. And then next week, uh, looking forward, uh, a visionary view. And we, next week we'll be sharing some things that are uh, on the on the burner for the coming year, uh, some things that we feel God is leading us uh, to do and to be. And uh, so I hope that you'll plan to be here for that as well. Would you stand with me and let's read our scripture together this morning, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the priests to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. You may be seated. We will, uh, by the way, resume our series through the book of Acts uh, a week from next Sunday, two weeks from today. Well, the community that's being described here in the passage that we just read together uh, is what I usually refer to as the first Christian church of Jerusalem, not because it was called that, uh, but because it was the first church and because it was a Christian church, and because it was in Jerusalem. And, and so when you hear me say First Christian Church of Jerusalem, I'm always referring to this body of believers that came into existence uh, following the event of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Christ followers on the day of Pentecost. The description, uh, this particular description of the first Christian church of Jerusalem provides a, a pattern to which Christ followers have turned again and again down through the ages to answer questions like, what is the common life of the church supposed to look like? Or what's it supposed to be like? What's it supposed to feel like? What, what outcomes of the life of the church should we anticipate if we're doing it the way God intends for us to do it? In other words, we might look to the description in Acts 2, 42 to 47 as a description of normative Christianity. Normative Christianity. That is the, the priorities to which the early church devoted themselves are normative. They provide a set of norms, a, a pattern, a template, if you will, an outline of priorities, not only for the normal individual Christian life, but also for the communal life of the normal Christian church. 
And in the same way, the priorities of the early church provide us with criteria by which to assess the life of any given Christian church or any given Christian in any given local Christian church, really at any time and in any place. My goal and intent this morning is not to exegete this entire passage um, because we just simply don't have time. We I did that uh, in the early goings of our series through Acts. You can go back and see um, those messages if you choose. But what I want to do today is, is to offer a kind of sober assessment of the life of our church and to do that kind of against the background of these five norms or these five criterion that are readily observable, I think, in the passage. So uh, some of you are anxious about filling in the blanks uh, in your sermon notes form that's in your program. I'm going to go ahead and do that for you right now. Uh, criterion number one is that they were a devoting community. Uh, criterion number two is that they were a learning community. Criterion number three is that they were a partnering community. Criterion number four, a praying community. And then criterion number five, an evangelizing community. So criterion number one, a devoting community. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. The This verb, this Greek verb that's translated devoted, suggests a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. It means to be given over to something, to persist, uh, to be constant and steadfast in spite of opposition or difficulty from without and in spite of lethargy from within. And what Luke's use of this verb tells us is that these disciples were devoted disciples, not dabblers. They were devoted. They were, we would say today, all in. Their devotion set the pace. It set the pattern for every Christian and every church in every generation. One very large church in the Midwest stated their understanding of their mission as a church this way. Our mission is to develop fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And we ought to pause and think about that for just a little while. Fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. What what priorities, what commitments, uh, what disciplines might we expect to characterize the life of someone who is developing as a fully devoted Disciple, what do you think? Might we expect them to be students of the Word of God? Probably so. That they would daily read the Bible, meditate on it, study it, memorize it. Might we expect a fully devoted disciple of Jesus to engage himself or herself in vital fellowship with other believers? That would include mutual love mutual accountability and mutual service, to faithfully invest their gifts and resources to advance the ministry and mission of their local church. What do you think? Uh, Might we anticipate that, that they would make it a priority at every opportunity to join with others in worshiping God in that local church? I think so. Would we expect that their daily lives would include prayer, that they would be praying regularly with others as an ordinary part of their lifestyle. You think we might expect that a fully devoted disciple might also be sharing their faith with unbelievers so that they in turn might come to a personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. See, a passage like this one offers a, a bit of a matrix, doesn't it, for evaluating the health and the vitality of our own discipleship. And so uh, let me ask you, or or ask yourself, are are you a fully devoted disciple? Would that fit, that label, that description? 
or might you better be described as a dabbler when it comes to the practical priorities of Christian lifestyle. It's very easy to idealize certain values of the Christian life and not live them out, isn't it? It's one of the dangers of of Christian lifestyle. Well, how are we doing in the devotedness category? Um, This one may be difficult to measure because it really goes to the ethos and the character and the culture of our church, uh, produced by that which we believe and to which we aspire. It's a measure of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in and among us. And one thing of which we can be sure is that it is the devotion of that early church, their intensity, their faithfulness, their persistence, their endurance, their steadfastness, enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that in very large part explains the explosiveness of the gospel and the sudden expansion of the church in the first century. How are we doing in the devotedness category? I was thinking the other day that uh, I'm not really good at the sober assessment piece. I tend to be somewhat optimistic. I'm, I generally try to be pretty positive. Um, I, I got into a conversation on Facebook yesterday uh, during the Seahawks game, may they rest in peace um, for another eight months. But the conversation turned to Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seahawks, who is the eternal optimist. And uh, my son says I have Pete's hair, but that's about it. Um, but he produces winning teams because he's just always so positive. He's one of the one of the part of parts of the the mix with Pete is is that he's uh, he's just very very positive. But at the same time, he brings that professional critique as well. So know that as I as I talk about these things, it's not easy for me to be critical of us as a church. But we need to ask then, what did they devote themselves to? And this takes us to criterion number two, is that they were, which is that they were a learning community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The first Christian church of Jerusalem was a learning community because they were a teaching community, and they were a teaching community because they hungered to be a learning community. When Jesus commissioned the apostles, he said to them, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Uh, and, and by the way, there's a great little synopsis, a little little simple definition of discipleship, which is that a, a disciple is a Christ follower who has been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and who is growing in a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus equipped and appointed the apostles to be the chief interpreters of who he is, what he accomplished on our behalf, and what he wants the church to know and to obey. And because of that, the church, the the true church, in every generation has been devoted to the apostles' teaching. Again, notice that he defined the means of disciple-making in three steps. First, they were to proclaim the gospel, and then, and, and to call those who received it to a radical identification with Jesus Christ, to put their faith in Him, to be radically identified with Him. Second, that new commitment was to be publicly symbolized by baptism, by being immersed in water, of dying, being buried, and being raised again to newness of life. That's the symbolism of baptism. 
But in the first century, it was also understood as a rite of transition. It was a, a change point. It was a public declaration that I was this and now I'm this. I once followed that God and now I'm following Jesus. It's part of that radical public identification. Third, the new generation of disciples were to be taught so that they would know God, his will and his ways, and so that their lives would be progressively conformed to all that Jesus had commanded. A desire to be fed the word of God is one of the initial evidences that someone has been truly born again. When an infant comes into the world and and there's not a, a, a natural born instinct to go for the mother's breast, to be nourished. Doctors know that there's something wrong. And in the same way, if if there's not the a hunger for the word of God in someone who claims to be a believer in Jesus, who claims to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then we know that something's wrong in their spiritual birth. The scriptures express over and over again the truth that those who are filled with the Spirit will have an immediate inborn hunger to know and understand the Word of God. One example is in 1 Peter 2, 2, where the apostle wrote very clearly, like newborn babes craves pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And the simple fact is that none of us can grow to maturity in Christ without an intentional, consistent diet of God's Word. And that's as true for you and me as it is for our children and our grandchildren. The Word of God is the essential equipment for knowing, understanding, and accomplishing the purposes of God in our lives. And so a faithful church will be about the work of teaching God's word, passing it on intact to each succeeding generation. Well, how do we assess LifePoint as a learning community? Let's begin with the pulpit, because it's the pulpit that's the starting point that sets the tone for the entire church. From week to week, I I teach you God's word as faithfully and as clearly and as unapologetically as I know how to do. Uh, it's a personal goal of mine to, to continue to grow in my effectiveness in doing that. Uh, honestly, it's amazing to me that that uh, some of you, uh, all of you come every Sunday to listen to the likes of me. Um, but I feel a great responsibility in that. And so I want to continue to grow in my effectiveness and in my faithfulness to God's word. Our, amen. Our adult life groups have always been environments for learning and applying God's word to our lives. Next week, you're going to hear about a new strategy for adult discipleship that's currently being developed by Bruce and Susan Ensign in cooperation with the pastors and elders. We want to elevate our efforts and our effectiveness in this area so that those who have a genuine desire to grow spiritually will be provided a systematic opportunity for doing that. Well, what about our ministries to children and youth? Uh, We are intentional about selecting curriculum for them that is biblically accurate and doctrinally sound and engaging for each age level. You can be confident that at least the starting point, the curriculum that we use with your children to teach them God's word uh, is is sound right from, from early childhood right on through high school. You can have confidence in that. But here's the problem that we're facing in our children's ministry and our youth ministry for that matter at present. I mentioned last week that that here in the wake of the pandemic, it's become increasingly difficult uh, to enlist volunteers to staff our ministries. And not that it was easy before, uh, but it seems harder now. I'll, I'll be honest, we are operating in both our youth and children's ministries uh, with inadequate numbers of both teachers and helpers. Uh, in kids' life, because we have a policy that uh, for for the sake of safety, that every classroom has two adults in it. Uh, we recently have begun uh, combining classes. 
And the result of that is, is that we have too wide an age span in each classroom for really effective instruction. Uh, and so we have a, a real need for teachers and helpers in kids' life. Uh, in our adult life groups, we, we have too few leaders for the number of groups that we actually need. In our youth ministry, we're operating at it with a skeleton crew. Uh, Cindy Appleby has uh, kind of handed off now the, the reins of our children's ministry to Emily Dean, and, and she's gone back over to, to the youth to assist over there. Uh, but I, I just uh, I want you to know that uh, if we're going to be a church that's faithful in passing the gospel to each generation, each succeeding generation, the present generations uh, particularly, um, we're not doing so good. We're not doing so good. And uh, and I just want to challenge you to consider whether God might be calling you to serve in one of those areas. Um, if you're a Christian, you're gifted to teach, you're simply capable of teaching, you're willing to make a commitment to regular, dependable service, not just popping in and popping out now, when you're available, then, then you are needed. And uh, what you can do, uh, also, if, if you could serve as a one-to-one mentor, for even for another adult, you could, you could serve as a discipler. Um, you are equally needed. Uh, on the back of your uh, and the seat back in front of you is this form that says next steps. And um, if you would uh, just fill that out and say, I'm, I'm interested or I'm available uh, to, to teach or to help in youth or children, um, and, and just drop that in the, the offering box or back at the connect table on your way out. Uh, or you can do it online as well. Um, be very helpful to us at, at the moment. Third criterion I want to point to today is a partnering community. Uh, we read there in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And you may be aware that that word fellowship in verse 42 is the Greek word koinonia. It's also translated partnership. It speaks to the common life of the church in at least two ways. First, it's all about what we share in together as believers. The Apostle John said that our fellowship is first with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, so that if you and I are not living in fellowship with the Father and the Son, if we're not living in fellowship with God, then we cannot live in genuine fellowship with one another. It's impossible. We might have a social relationship, but we will not experience what the Bible calls koinonia, what it calls fellowship, partnership. Secondly, verses 44 to 47 tell us that it's all about what we share out together, if I can use that phrase, share in, share out. That That is what we give, what we contribute. It speaks to generosity that goes beyond money to voluntarily sharing of our lives, uh, our property, and our possessions. Now, I'd like to point out a number of dynamics that are present in this scripture uh, passage that inform a biblical understanding of fellowship or partnership. First of all, biblical partnership from day one has been marked by racial, ethnic, and linguistic diversity. If we were to open our Bibles to to, to this passage we read today, and and uh, if I didn't provide it to you so conveniently on the screen, but but we were to go we were to go back to chapter one and verse fifteen, uh, we would learn that on the day of Pentecost, among the three thousand who believed the message of the gospel as Peter preached it that day, uh, was a diverse crowd of Jews living in Jerusalem from all around the greater Mediterranean world. Verses 9 to 11 of chapter 2 of Acts uh, give us a definitive list. 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. What a list. And as we study that list, we, we begin to understand as we, as we look at where those places are, very few of them you recognized, but as we look at where those places were and the peoples that lived there and the hue of their skin and the languages that they spoke, we understand an incredibly diverse crowd who that day, 3,000 of them, believed in Jesus. And so the church from day one was this incredible um, community, diverse community uh, of of uh, racial, ethnic, and linguistic difference. See, I know of no other fellowship than the fellowship of the church in which an astonishing diversity of humans can experience genuine oneness. The world wants it. The world idealizes it. The world idolizes it. The world tries to enforce it. But it's largely unsuccessful, isn't it? But in the church, we experience a sustained unity, and it's all because it's brought about by our common faith in Jesus Christ and the unifying power of the Holy Spirit. There's not a denial of differences, but there is a blending of differences, a oneness, a a diversity in the church. And then to racial, ethnic, and and linguistic diversity, add all of the other ways that we're different from one another. See, the church is is not by any means a cookie-cutter group of people all cut from the same cloth. We come from different ages and stages of life, different marital status, varied socioeconomic status, different levels of education, a diversity of careers and walks of life, vastly different personalities and temperaments, often quite different political persuasions. And if you can believe it, some Christians aren't even Seahawks fans, which is inconceivable to me. We we actually have 49ers fans in this church, uh, which is a great test of, of, of unity. Second, notice that the fellowship of the church implies locality. Verse 44, all who believed were together. They were together. And they were together with a particular group of people in a particular place. And the place hadn't changed. The faces hadn't changed. But because of their faith in Christ, because of the baptism of the Spirit, they themselves were changing. And it was in that place and among the people who lived there that the transformation the Spirit was bringing about in their lives was to be worked out. When they devoted themselves to the fellowship, they didn't devote themselves to a vague notion or a mere ideal. They didn't just devote themselves to fellowship in general. They weren't going from church to church as many do today, saying, well, I fellowship here and I fellowship there and I fellowship there. You know, it's searching for the place where they're going to receive the warmest welcome, uh, the fuzziest affirmation, the best cup of coffee, who knows what else. Someone named Christopher Ash once said that the local church is made up of a community of people with whom, by and large, you would not want to go on vacation. Can I get an amen? You're scared too, aren't you? Yes. But it's true, isn't it? Isn't it? If, if you've spent enough time in a local church, you, you will have had moments when you've asked, is this really the best that the grace of God can do? Are these really the people with whom God wants me to be in community? And the answer is yes. And see, the dirty little secret is that they're asking the same questions about you. So essential for us to grasp. The late Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them 
will create community. See, when we come with some preconceived notion about the way it should look and we insist it be that way and it's not that way yet or maybe it never will be, and then we just punt. We just punt. And we never experience the real deal because we don't choose to love those that God has called us to love in the place he has called us to be. God wants you to devote yourself to one local fellowship, warts and all, and then trust him to work through the people in within that fellowship to accomplish his purposes in your life and through your life. I want to ask you this morning, are, are you devoted to LifePoint Church? And I'm not talking to you who are visiting. Maybe this is the first time and this is awkward because you didn't know what you're getting into this morning. But... But are you, who are regular attenders here, are, are you actually devoted to this church or are you simply devoted to attendance of this church? Are you devoted to LifePoint Church as a community? Some of you uh, need to take the step of becoming partners in our church. That's the word we use here for membership. And And I just want to encourage you in this new year, to choose to become a LifePoint partner. If this is your church, become a LifePoint partner. You can go to mylpcoli.com forward slash partner, read through what it means to be a partner, and then fill out, uh, if, if after having read all of that, you say, yeah, I need to take this step, or I'm willing to take this step, go ahead and fill out that partnership application. And uh, if you'll do that, I'll take you out for pizza. Third, Devoted partnership involves hospitality and inclusivity. Hospitality and inclusivity. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Notice that it's the Lord that did the adding. Sometimes we think we need to do the adding. We don't. We don't need to do the adding. What we need to do, what he leaves to us to do, is the welcoming and the befriending and the enfolding. The incorporating. The writer of Hebrews gave us this command in chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The word translated hospitality is philoxenia, and it literally means the love of strangers. You may be aware that LifePoint Church is known in our community as, as one of the friendliest churches in town. And I'm proud of all of you for that. And I'm proud of our, of our hospitality team who do a great job of helping our guests feel welcome. Uh, you all do a great job of greeting newcomers and befriending them. But we need to add to our initial hospitality this dynamic of inclusivity. Those whom God is bringing to our church, and he's bringing people every Sunday, uh, need to experience not just an initial welcome, but an invitation, inclusion, incorporation into our lives, into our sphere of relationships, our sphere of friendships, and into the life of our church. And so we ought to make a special effort to be hospitable to those that God is bringing. I mentioned last week that that uh, though several people left our church during the pandemic, uh, God is bringing more, and they're coming every Sunday. And and we're excited about that, but we want to welcome them and not just, you know, smile and give them, show them the teeth behind our lips, but, but actually invite them into our lives, love them. Fourth, this passage tells us that the devotion to fellowship involves material and financial generosity. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. As we've seen on many occasions in the New Testament, especially here in Acts, what's what's being described here is not communism, but it is, again, that word koinonia. It's, It's genuine Christian fellowship. Communism says what's yours is ours. We'll take it, right? Koinonia says, what's mine is God's, and so I'll share it. What's mine is God's, I'll share it. There's no seizure of property for the sake of 
redistributing wealth taking place here. What is taking place is voluntary, sacrificial sharing of uh, money and property from willing and generous hearts in order to meet practical, tangible needs. When the Spirit takes control in our lives, uh, even our attitudes towards our money and our stuff is transformed, aren't they? Um, we realize that everything we have comes from God. Everything belongs to him. We're just stewards of his money, his stuff, and we're called to use it to serve others for the sake of the kingdom of God. I've asked uh, one of our elders, Greg Volkart, um, who's also one of our life group leaders here at LifePoint, to uh, present to you this morning an updated status report on our church finances. Uh, so that you'll get a just kind of a photograph of of where we're at financially, and then I'll have some comments after that. So, Greg, would you please come? Morning, everyone. Um, you know, as Jim uh, has titled this this week's message, um, a sober assessment, really talking about the status of our church today. Um, he asked me to give kind of a high level overview of how, where we sit financially. Um, Last week, Jim talked about uh, what it looked like coming, going through and coming out of COVID with, with church attendance going up and down. Uh, we've also seen giving going up and down during this period, and this, of course, plays out in our financial position. Um, you know, for, for those of you that are here for the first time, um, you know, generally when you come to a new church, you get kind of the, the polished version. And... What you're getting today is more like behind the scenes where we're wearing our pizza stained t-shirts. So please forgive me, forgive me, forgive us for that one. But, um, you know, what I'm going to talk about today is, is, um, our church finances and, and just know that if you're new, if you're here visiting, this isn't messages directed directly at you, but I will talk a little bit about, about stewardship and, you know, which is, which is part of the discipleship journey that we all are on as followers of Jesus Christ. Um, what I'm going to talk about in presenting this financial information is, is dependent on the work of our volunteer treasurer, Julie Evans, and uh, by Kathy Pruitt, who serves as our bookkeeper, our admin assistant, and I don't know, about a half a dozen other hats around here. So um, just want to thank them for the great work that they do and, and uh, keeping our our numbers together and say and put together uh, well, so let's go to the next slide. Um, we have a number of of funds at LifePoint Church that have specific purposes, and I'm just going to give a brief overview of these on this slide. The first one is our general fund. Uh, this is where your tithes and author offerings go that are not designated for some specific purpose. Um, it's used to meet our basic operations and, and maintenance expenses. And you can see we, can, we currently have a little under $44,000 in this fund. Um, I'll get into a little bit more detail on, on this, how this funding is used in the next slide. Um, but the second bucket I'll talk about is Vision Next. This is our capital fund. So this, the money for, that's donated towards Vision Next was used to, to purchase this facility it's used to um, for our, our paying our mortgage principal on it. It's also used for kind of our major upgrades to the facility or major repairs. Um, and uh, our next project that we intend to use this money for is to provide some office spaces for our pastors. Um, if you've been upstairs and seen the space that that is for that purpose, you'll see that it's in a very unfinished uh, state right now. And a large portion of the 77000 that's in Vision Next uh, was donated specifically for creation of office spaces for the pastors, and so we hope to get that accomplished this year. Moving on, the next uh, uh, bucket or fund I want to talk about is benevolence. So the benevolence offerings that, that go into the fund, they're really here to support our own church, LifePoint Church family, when there's when there's needs, when 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 there's a crisis that occurs and, and needs are there. And I'm happy to say over the last 12 months, we've been able to provide over $18,000 in assistance uh, because of your generosity. And I'll share some examples of that a little bit later. Uh, the next fund, the Backpacks Fund, 
This fund serves low-income and homeless youth in the area, and it's really it's been a focus of LifePoint Church's outreach over 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 more than a decade now. Um, it currently has a little over sixteen thousand in the fund, and and I'll talk a little bit more about this one as well in in a in a couple slides later. And finally, you'll you'll see there's a little tiny sliver there at the very top of the pie chart that says other. These are largely represent a number of what we call pass-through accounts. Examples include like missionary support. So when you give to a specific missionary, the money comes into the church. Within a couple weeks, it passes out to that missionary. So there's never really a whole lot of money in in that other category uh, of those pass-through accounts. Um, So another example is our MOPS program, our youth and children's ministry. So if there's like a specific thing that one of those um, teams wants to do, they'll ask for for, uh, funding for that thing from the parents. The money comes in, the thing is done, the money goes out to pay for it. So there's never really much in in the other buckets. But um, most recently, we set up a year-end giving fund at the end of 2022, and that fund was established to help improve our general fund balance, which, again, represents our operating reserve. And through your generosity, we were able to move $22,890 into our general fund to, to improve our position there. So um, that, was, that was really good in helping us out. So let's move on to the next slide. <clears throat> so I'm going to delve in a little bit into our, our general fund now. And um, LifePoint Church's fiscal year starts on July 1st. And so what this slide represents is our average monthly expenses over the first six months of the fiscal year relative to our average monthly income. So expenses averaged about 51000 per month during this period, while income averaged about 35000 a month. So over this six-month period, we've, we've basically about $16,000 short per month on average in meeting the church's expenses. Now, as you can see, most of the expenses went towards staffing and facilities costs. Staffing costs include salaries and benefits to our, for our pastors, as well as hourly wages for our, our part-time um, employees. And facilities costs include our, includes our mortgage interest payments, um, taxes, utilities, general maintenance costs, Earlier this year, Pastor Steve and Rosie Sept left LifePoint Church, and the elders opted to provide them with a severance package to help them with their transition. And when we did, you know, when we build our, our church budget, we, we base it on, we take a look at the previous year's giving and kind of use that as a basis for what we think we can do in, in the coming fiscal year. And in the prior fiscal year, which started July 1st of 2021 and ended June 30th of 2022, um, the general fund income was $585,000 to the church. This is about, looking at a month-to-month, that's about roughly $49,000 a month that was coming into the church at that time. So when we when we offered the SEPs, the, the um, severance package, we knew that there would be, we thought there would be a small impact on our operating reserve at that time. But obviously what's transpired over the first six months of our fiscal year is um, significantly less giving than we anticipated. So we can move on to the next slide. So looking forward over the next few months, staffing expenses will go down as we're no longer supporting the SEPs. Uh, nevertheless, um, as you can see, the giving to the general fund is, is still less than, than what our, our anticipated expenses are. And so we're going to need to either up our giving or make a change. And, and um, you know, our general fund balance, as I said, it represents our operating reserve. And right now we have about one month's worth of expenses in it. So... I'm just going to pause for a second and share a little bit about of my heart here. I think I'm speaking for all of us when I say that that none of us wants to see the ministry of LifePoint Church decline. Um, hope I get an amen here. Um, and 
ideally, I think we'd all like to see it expand. We would like to, when you think about how, how God has moved us, Jim talked about this last week, how God has moved us from Lacey to this, this area in the Olympia area. He gave us this wonderful facility. Um, the vision is that we would use it to um, carry out the Great Commission, to invite people into relationships with Jesus Christ, to help them find and follow Jesus, which is which is our our motto, and um, to help them on their discipleship journey. And God has called you, He's called me, He's called each of us to be part of this, be part of what He's doing here, and what He intends to do into the future. And as Jim just talked about, obedience to God means being a good steward of the resources he's entrusted to us. And so along with me and Connie, my wife, I'm asking you to examine the resources that he's given you to really consider what each of our stewardship response will be to furthering his mission here in this area. Um, God has a desire to use us, and uh, but it requires us to be faithful as well. So let me move on and share a little bit about the things we are doing. So if we can go to the next slide. Again, I just want to um, remind us we have these, these different uh, funds set up, and I want to talk a little bit now about benevolence and the Backpacks Fund. So uh, go to the next slide, please. So our Benevolence Fund, as I mentioned, it supports our own LifePoint Church family when circumstances trigger the need for help. And over the last year, we've been able to use these funds. Uh, I'll give you a few examples. One is we had one church member, a regular attender, who um, he lost his job, and he was, he was struggling to make his rent payment and he was working part-time, doing the best he could while he, while he looked for another job. But he just needed a little help to kind of keep things going. And through the Benevolence Fund, through your generosity, we were able to provide that help. And um, I'm happy to say he's now has a full-time job. He's working. He's able to support himself. And, and it's doing much better. So um, it, 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 we, he, he would have struggled without the Benevolence help. Um, we have another um, regular attender with, um, who had significant medical bills that he was struggling with. They were struggling to make payments as a family, and we were able to help with that. We had, um, we had a former member of this church. This family uh, was very invested in LifePoint. They served in a lot of different areas at LifePoint, and... Um, they ended up by um, moving to another community. And um, just a few months ago, uh, the family home burned down, burned to the ground in that community. Down, I mean, the whole place was destroyed down to the foundation. And they lost pretty much everything in that fire. And um, we were able, through the Benevolence Fund, just to help them with some basic needs, you know, food, some clothing, just to kind of help them as they transition into the next chapter of their life. We, we have a LifePoint Church partner who has some severe uh, medical issues. He's basically handicapped now. And so income is, is a problem for the family, and we were able to help them rebuild a fence on their property. Um, we have another LifePoint Church partner who, who's uh, an immediate family member had passed away recently. And we were able to help them with expenses to travel to where the where the service funeral service was going to be, where, so that they can be with family members and just uh, celebrate the life of of the the past loved one who was a follower of Jesus Christ. So a lot of good comes out of the benevolence fund, and and thank you for your generosity with it. You know, James chapter two talks about meeting the needs of our church family. In verses 15 and 16, he states this in a rhetorical way. He says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? 
Well, well, thankfully, I could say through our Bud Hamlet's Fund, we've been able to meet meet some of those needs. And so I'm just thankful for your giving into that one. Uh, go to the next slide, please. And I want to also talk about our backpacks. So, so similarly, Little Life Point Church has been there for homeless and low-income youth through the backpacks program. And I'd asked another one of our volunteers, Katie Myrick, who leads that program as well as serves back in children's ministry, to talk about it this morning. But Katie came down with an illness and couldn't be here today. And so she gave me a few notes to share with you all on some of the some of the things that, that the Backpacks program's been able to do. So if you don't know, it's called the Backpacks program because it's when LifePoint Church, when we got first got involved with it, we were filling backpacks with food to help um, high school students at Timberline High School with food on weekends, food during holidays, when they're not supported by um, food from the school. And over the years, this, this program's grown so that we were able to provide uh, food, backpacks of food, to to many schools within the North Thurston School District. But um, in that school district now, the, their, their food support program is, is centralized. It's become part, a regular part of their, their program, and they have funding for it now. And so our backpack program has has changed a little bit over, over time. So we're currently um, supporting students at Timberline High School as well, uh, school as, well as working on building relationships with the school district in our current neighborhood, which is the Olympia School District. Over the last year at Timberline, we helped students with the cost of driver's education. So, so when you think about it, for a student struggling, can't afford the, the driver's education classes, by our help, they're able to take those classes, get a driver's license. That helps them to be able to better be able to get a job, which then helps them to uh, be able to help with the financial stability of the family. Um, at Reeves uh, Middle School and Timberline, we donated over $3,000 to needed, for needed items during Christmas, providing gifts for 91 students from 44 families at Reeves and 96 students from 36 families at Timberline. And, and Katie continues to reach out to the schools to find out what their emergent needs are, and to work on individual requests. I didn't get into any of those, but just needless to say, there's been a lot of support for students. And, and you know, she asks that we continue to pray that God will keep using LifePoint to reach into schools and support students. And we, we pray as, as for, this, for this program, this ministry, that, that God will use this work to provide an opportunity to share the, the good news of the gospel with these students, and uh, whether it's through us or, or through the future, because they've, they've received help from a Christian church. So in closing, you know, Isaiah 43.19 says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. We have the honor and privilege to be part of what God is doing here. So thank you for allowing me to update you on our final financial position and to talk about how we're shining the light with a few examples on those who do not know him and, and to show love to one another through our various funds. I want to uh, just issue a challenge to you. We, we do this uh, periodically here at LifePoint, but, um, you know, here at LifePoint we preach uh, and teach tithing as a biblical principle. Um, tithing, technically, bottom line, is is giving 10% of, of your income uh, to the Lord through the local church. And um, and many of us here at LifePoint do that. All of the pastors and elders are, are tithers. Um, but for a lot of people, you know, depending on, on what your giving level has been to, to take that next step and to, to bump up to 10% when maybe you've been giving nothing or you've been just giving a little bit, um, is, is maybe sometimes too big, uh, a leap, too big a hurdle. And so here, here's my challenge to you. Um, on, in the, your seat back again is that next steps form and 
my challenge to you is that you would choose, I'm not going to prescribe it to you, but you would choose before the Lord and, and prayerfully before him, choose a percentage um, by which you're going to increase your giving, um, percentage of your income, or maybe it's the percentage over against what you've already been giving. Um, but um, choose that. And, and over the next 90 days, if, if, well, first of all, mark on your form what you're, what, what that's going to be. And maybe you're not ready to do that today, but you could do it in the future. But just let me know what it is you're going to do. Um, we're not going to publish that. It's only just between you and me and the Lord. But, um, my commitment to you is over 90 days from the time you start giving that increased amount, if after if after 90 days you would say, you duped me, you ripped me off, my life has just become miserable, I'm falling apart financially, I want my money back, we'll give it. We'll give you every cent that you've given over those 90 days. We'll just give it back to you. Because what I want you to do is just to test the Lord. He, this is one area in which he said, test me. Or not to test him in other areas, but he said, test me in this. See if I won't bless you uh, in, as you give to the Lord, uh, a proportional gift from your income. And uh, there you go, 90-day giving challenge. We'll see what God does. Well, I just want to wrap this up. There's two more two more cri- criteria. Um, first, uh, the fourth number, uh, number four is a praying community. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to prayer. We know that the early church was a praying church. Every vital church is a praying church. Uh, the criterion uh, applies to our personal devotion to prayer. It applies to our corporate devotion to prayer. Uh, the great Dr. Mort- Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, was a 20th century Welsh pastor, and he wrote this, prayer is the best test of an individual, and it is also the best test of a church. A church can be flourishing, she can be successful in terms of organizations, she can be tremendously active and appear to be prosperous, but if you want to know whether she's a real church or not, examine the amount of prayer that takes place. Prayer is the inevitable conclusion of true doctrine. The first Christians started with the apostles' teaching, and that led to prayer. As we assess LifePoint Church as a praying community, we would acknowledge that it's a critical need in our church, always has been, always will be. It'll be critical in our daily quiet times and in the pastoral staff and the elder board, in our life groups, our ministry teams, youth, children, every worship service, every classroom. We have a prayer group that meets here on Tuesday nights. Um, and there is a faithful small group of people that come and just pray for all of us and all the ministries of our church. We need to grow in prayer. That will always be true. It will always be true. But I'm asking you, if you're a leader of any group in this church, that, that you would elevate, you would intensify that group's focus on prayer. Criterion number five is an evangelizing community. Verse 47, again, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being what? That were being what? Saved. Saved. So as we think about LifePoint Church as an evangelizing community, as we assess that, um, one thing is true is that we make the gospel as clear and understandable as we can each and every Sunday. Um, We also would say that evangelism isn't a program. Some people think of evangelism as a program because that's all that they've ever known of evangelism. Neither is it something that only pastors and evangelists are called to do. Each of us is called to share the good news that because God sent his son Jesus Christ to die in our place, bearing our sins, and to defeat the power of sin and death forever, so that by simple faith in Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven. We can be reconciled to God. We can have the hope of eternal life. That's what it's all about. It's an area in which too many of us feel inadequate uh, because we somehow compare ourselves over against something we've seen on TV or a movie or an, on a platform in a church. Um, so what we're going to do in the coming years is we're going to provide some training in how to share your faith. 
want to let you know that we are also a church that is committed to world missions. As you know, we support three missionary couples. We support Ian and Maki Smith in Japan, uh, Will and Katie Lowry in Birmingham, England, and uh, who else? Josh and Ashley uh, Freeman, Ashley Seiler Freeman in Togo. This weekend here at LifePoint, we have a, a group of people who are gathering for a, a focused coaching weekend that will help us kind of sharpen the spear of our missions efforts. I want to ask you two things about that. If you have an interest in missions and you'd like to be a part of that team, I would love to have you come and let me know that. Secondly, will you please pray for us Friday, 5.30 to 8.30, Saturday, 9 to 5. Please pray for us that, that the Holy Spirit would attend that process and really help us begin a work of sharpening our focus. Well, I'm going to close with that, and uh, let's bow in prayer together. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, there's so much more we could have said today, so much more that really needs our attention. But, uh, Lord, I pray that you would use what has been shared today to just uh, to uh, stimulate our minds and uh pierce our hearts, that, Lord, we would, uh, each of us, be faithful to our calling here in within this church, that we would together be faithful to our calling as a church, that uh, we would live a life that honors you, that, uh, Lord, we would conduct uh, our mission in ways that befit the, the work of the Holy Spirit uh, and the work that he wants to do in us and through us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.